Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big time defensive play! No holds bar. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five. Back-to-back years for the first time since 1959 and 1960, Syracuse football is 3-0. I'm Tyler Aiken alongside Francesco Simone for this Fizz 5. And the the star of the show this week was Syracuse able to win without Aronde Gadsden. Yeah, that was certainly a big story that came out of this weekend's game against Purdue Tyler. Aronde Gadsden, obviously Syracuse's best player, I would argue Syracuse's most important player, but if you watch the game on Saturday, maybe that's not quite the case. Uh, you talk about most important player to the team. There was a guy that scored four touchdowns on mm-hmm. the ground this week. Mm-hmm. Might have been surprising. We'll get into that later, but now it's time to start with topic number one. Number one. Well, Francesco, we were just talking about it. Aronde Gadsden is out for the season, and at least for now, Syracuse kept winning. But it wasn't winning because of its passing game against Purdue. No, it certainly was not, Tyler. There were points in the game, in fact, a lot of points in the game, where you knew Jason Beck was not going to throw the football, had no intention to take the ball out of either Garrett Schrader's hands as a runner or LaQuint Allen's out of the backfield. So, listen, Dino Babers said so afterwards. You can't necessarily rely on that type of game plan week in and week out, but in a game that Syracuse looked at its schedule and said, listen, we win this game, and our prospects look a lot different than if we lose this game. It was a real turning point for Syracuse. The Orange decided, listen, I we need Garrett Schrader to run the football. We're not going to take a lot of chances with an inexperienced receiving court. Uh, inexperienced is the best way to put it. Against Purdue, only three receivers actually caught the ball. One of them was running back LaQuint Allen, who actually led the team in receptions. And then Damian Alford and Donovan Brown had a few catches apiece. Alford was completely taken away from the game in the second half, didn't make a single reception. Umari Hatcher had a big drop for what would have been a touchdown. Mm -hmm. So it seems like... None of these players are really wanting to grab that leadership role. And with Isaiah Jones, who was a starter last season before his yeah. injury and played well in the first two games, it's really disappointing that he didn't play so much. His snap count was very low against Purdue. Yeah. And Dino Babers clarified in his press conference on Monday that was not because of any sort of injury concern mm-hmm. at all. That was because he chose not to play him. Yeah, and that's certainly a concern, like you said, Tyler, because Isaiah Jones in the first two weeks of the season was Syracuse's most reliable receiver. Right now, you're playing the Sweet Sisters of the Poor. I understand that with Colgate and Western Michigan, a MAC team and an FBS team. However, when you got a when you got a receiver who's got the kind of size that Isaiah Jones has, I think he's got good ball skills as well. Maybe not a burner down the field. He should be somebody who is a valuable part of your offense. More so than a guy like Umari Hatcher, who has some talent, has some size, but has not shown a whole lot consistently at the collegiate level. Donovan Brown is a baby. Damian Alford, a baby in terms of it, just has, doesn't have a whole lot of experience. Damian Alford, the experience he does have has not necessarily been great at Syracuse in the last four years. So, you know, not seeing Isaiah Jones take the next step against a Power 5 opponent was you know, a little jarring and certainly a little concerning, too. And so then you look at the other options. It's like, well, Max Mang, Dan Valari, the other tight ends, 
they're not going to be playing the same role no. as a Rondé Guest. No. And there was an interesting comment in the press conference on Monday by Dino Babers where he was saying if Pena, Trevor Pena, can come back from his injury, mm-hmm. he might be used in the slot. And it's really important to remember Syracuse is not replacing a tight end. Syracuse is replacing a slot receiver Correct. that had the tight end label slapped on him. Yes. And so now it becomes really interesting Nobody has any idea what Pena's injury is. No. There's been no timetable given. No. And so for the time being, it's running back LaQuint Allen who really needs to carry the load receiving-wise. But even if Trevor Pena comes back, right, and they put him into the slot, he's your traditional gadget-type slot receiver, right? He's not a Rondé Gadsden who's 6'5", 220, no. and can take the entire attention away from a defense. So, yeah, Trevor Pena, listen, all hands on deck, right? Anybody, anybody you can get with some talent can certainly help. But even whenever Pena comes back, because like you said, Tyler, he's been missing in action for the last three weeks. Nobody's ever, nobody's heard of, heard from the guy since the season began. So when's he going to come back? I have no idea. You mentioned LaQuint Allen. And I agree with you in the sense that he's got to be a major part of this passing offense. Now, are you going to split him out wide and have him run deep in intermediate routes? No. No, right? You're not going to do that. But what you can do, whether it's screen passes, short flat routes, angle routes over the middle— Get him out of the backfield within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Let Schrader get the ball in Allen's hands more so as an extension of the run game because yes. that's going to be effective in terms of s- slowing down a pass rush a little bit too because you got to keep in mind that there could be a quick pass coming here. But it also takes the ball out of Garrett Schrader's hands so he doesn't have to run the ball 30 times a game. Exactly, and with the offensive line issues, David Wollabaugh out for the season. Yep. Joe Moore still has yet to play a game. Speaking of guys we haven't heard from yet, Joe Moore. No idea what's going on with, with Joe Moore. Didn't even make the trip to West Lafayette. Even though Garrett Schrader, who was probably not supposed to say this after Western Michigan, but he did anyway, saying we're going to get Joe Moore and Kalen Ellis back. Didn't happen. And so Schrader's going to need to get rid of the ball quickly. LaQuint Allen is that similar yeah. safety valve guy to Gadsden even though they run different routes, they're coming from different positions, Allen can catch those passes. Yeah. And I I honestly think if Allen is the leading receiver for Syracuse with the current options available, then that's a successful game. That's a successful game. Uh, leading receiver in terms of catches? Catches, okay. receptions. Not yards, though. Because oh, you still yes, got to throw fair. the ball down the field, yes. right? You can't just dink and dunk your way to a win. You are against a team like Clemson, like Carolina, like Florida State. At some point in all of those games, you're going to have to hit a shot down the field and get a chunk. And right? that's the reason Alfred's on the team. Alfred, that's the reason Alfred's on the team. That's the reason Donovan Brown and Umari Hatcher are on the team, right? They're guys who have a lot of athleticism, can run by a defender, and can make a catch down the field. Now, Hatcher had a chance to do that against Purdue, dropped it inside the 10, which would have been a touchdown. Donovan Brown made a really good over-the-shoulder grab on third down in the third quarter. So you're going to need those big chunk plays. A receiver, hopefully two or three of them, will have to step up at some point because you cannot throw the ball five yards down the field and only run and expect to win at this level of football. And Dino Babers has made it very clear in terms of what he expects from them to step up. On Monday, he said they shouldn't drop passes. That's a good catch start. Passes. Yeah, yeah, again, good start. That's yeah. the only thing he said. Yeah. So uh, Babers knows what he wants from his receivers and Gadsden, no more for Syracuse football this season. Now, let's move on to topic number two. Number two. Syracuse football hosting Army this Saturday at noon. Francesco, this is a different Army team than we've seen for the last century. <laughs> it might be more than a century, too. I, yeah, you're right. They're, 
they don't necessarily run the wishbone triple offense, the triple option offense anymore, right? Now, they're not throwing the ball 50 times a game, right? Don't get crazy. But they are throwing the ball a little bit more than maybe they have in years past. And their their option is more so a shotgun offense with, you know, you move to one side, a quarterback and a running back, and you got a pitch option. So it's just an option, not a triple option, which will be, you know, interesting to see exactly how that looks because, you know, what set Army and Navy and Air Force apart from the rest of every other college football team? It was that triple option, right, except for when Georgia Tech used to do it a couple of years ago, which, by the way, made no sense that Georgia Tech ran the triple option, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's what set them apart. It's almost like the two-three zone in, in in college basketball, where you don't you see it so infrequently that it can be a little bit difficult to stop. Right now, you got better athletes, you got better talent. Eventually, you do stop it, but it can give you a couple of hiccups because when's the last time Syracuse played a service academy? Right, it's it's been a long, long time. Hasn't played Army since '98. Exactly. Think. Right. I don't think they played Navy in the recently or Air no. Force either. So you don't do it very often. You don't see the triple option very often. So. It takes a little bit of getting used to, right? Because while it's not explosive, it's not dynamic, it's it's also not innovative. It's very old, but it's innovative because it's old, right? Because nobody else runs it. So you got to prepare for it very carefully because while you got the better players, it's a system that you're not used to that can cause you some fits. Now it's a little bit different, right? But how is it going to look is something that you and I have no idea about. I don't think a lot of teams have any idea no. about it because we've got two games on film of them. And... Yeah, listen, they throw the ball a little bit more than they usually do, but it's still all about that run game. It's still very different than what you usually face. It's all about that run game, but you can't necessarily just load the box like you used to be able to. There was a 70-yard passing touchdown, a 59-yard passing touchdown. Now that was against Delaware State a few weeks ago. But Isaiah Alston— Delaware State? Delaware State, yes. Not the Blue Hens? No, not the Blue Hens. But Isaiah Alston is the best wide receiver that has been— at Army ever. He is on base to shatter every single receiving record. Let me ask you let me ask you a trivia question. Okay. Last Army receiver to play in the NFL. No chance you get this. <laughs> he didn't play receiver in the NFL. Can you tell me what position he played? Left in the tackle. NFL? <laughs> so he was Army. He, he was, was a wide receiver, receiver at Army. Army. Played left tackle in the NFL. Uh, David Bakhtiari. I'm Alejandro just... Villanueva. He was a wide he receiver. He was a receiver at Army. Yeah. Oh my goodness. He wore eighty two and everything. A blocking receiver, obviously. He was still a big dude. But, yeah, went to the Army, put on about 50, 60 pounds, became a left tackle. Good for him. He was a good player, too. Yeah, no, very solid yeah. for the Steelers for yeah. a few years back yeah. in the day. Wow. Yeah. But you can't ne- – back to what we were talking about. You can't necessarily just load the box and pray. You have to have a few guys on the secondary yeah. ready to be deep, especially because that triple option in the shotgun, I- I've watched a little bit. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily look like they could only – go for a run like it yeah their offense looks the same setup regardless if it's a 50 yard pass right. or a rush right. up the middle but Syracuse's defensive line has been a brick wall so far it's been great even it's against great. a good rushing team in Purdue Purdue's yeah. been solid on the ground yeah nothing against Syracuse no and the thing about Syracuse's defensive line is that this year relative to years past especially under Dino Babers what's been a big critique of the defensive line they're tiny right you got Kayvon Darton who's listed at 270 if he's 270 I'm 6'5 uh, <laughs> you know but you still got Caleb Okachuku who's upwards to 275 you got Dennis Jacquez who's about 260 Kevin Jobody's over 260 you have legitimate size now on the defensive line rather than last year. Steve Litton at 230, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. JTS Gear at 235. 
Now, both of those guys are good players, good pass rushers, but against the running team, they're going to carve you up. You saw it against Notre Dame when uh, Audric Estime ran for 17 million yards in that game. So it is a different-looking Syracuse D-line, one that is much more guarded towards stopping the run. I think that's been a good decision by Rocky Long and by Dino Babers because you've got so much speed in the linebacking court. Leon Lowry, Steph Thompson, Marlowe Wax, Derek McDonald. Let those guys rush the passer. Let the three up front stop the run, which is going to be big against Army this week. It's going to be huge against Army this week. Working on to the offense, it will be interesting, continuing our mm-hmm. last conversation, if any of the other wide receivers step up. Yeah. If Isaiah Jones is no longer sure. a starter, we not really sure mm. what Babers is thinking about Jones right now. Because Army is a team that isn't so strong, and so you can afford to maybe try a few things yeah. on offense. This might be a big week of experimentation for Schrader and uh, Jamie Beck. Jason Beck. James Jason Beck, sorry. Jamie's his wife. <laughs> well, uh, maybe maybe she'll get to call the plays this week against Army. She's very active on X, Jamie Beck is. I, I, against Army, I'm sure she could call the plays and Syracuse would do well. Okay, well, it's quite the hot take for me, Tyler. But, all right, um... Yeah, I think this is kind of taking a step back from, you know, you take a step up in Purdue, now you're going back to, is Army better than Colgate and Western Michigan? I would assume so, right? Um, however, you got Clemson coming up, then you got to go to Carolina, then you got to go to Florida State. This is the last week in the season where you can afford to experiment, right? Starting on Monday when practices begin, or I guess Tuesday when practices begin for Clemson, I got to know who my starting receivers are. I got to know who the heck's playing right tackle, right? I need to know, is Kalen Ellis back or not? This week is a good opportunity to really figure out exactly who's going to play where so you get some continuity, and going into the big boys of this slate, you can be all ready to go with who you know are are your best players. Especially with the offensive line, because I think the common fan, and not saying – you and I are some great football minds, but the common fan looks at the offensive line, oh, you need size and you need to be healthy, and that's it. A lot of Syracuse's offensive line before the season were talking about how big training camp was mm. in terms of chemistry yeah. and understanding yeah. where guys are going to be, what blocks they're going to be making in the context of playing next to each other. And so if Joe Moore doesn't play this week yeah. and he has to come back mm-hmm. against a Clemson mm-hmm. or a Florida State, yeah. That's going to be really hard to just insert him in there oh, and yeah. hope that it's going to work out. A hundred percent, right? Again, I never played offensive line, right? But when you listen to anybody that does, they'll tell you a big thing uh, about playing the O line is the chemistry you have with your teammates, right? Knowing what assignment everybody's got, trusting that the guy next to you is going to handle his job, so you can just worry about yours. No, you're right. You would like if Joe Moore is going to be a starter this year, if Kalen Ellis is going to be a starter this year. Get them out there hopefully this week so they have one game under their belt to prepare going into the Clemson game, the UNC game, the FSU game. It's going to be interesting to see exactly how the offensive line is arranged when everybody's healthy. I think what might end up happening, Tyler, is that Joe Moore plays right tackle because I think Jacob Bradford's been pretty good at right guard. Um, I don't know if Kalen Ellis gets his job back because Chris Blight just false started a bit too much, but he was also AC first-team All-ACC for the Purdue week this this past weekend. Now, how much does that mean for a left guard who's watching the film on that? I got no clue, right? But somebody thought he was pretty good. So, yeah, I would like to know my Clemson starting offensive line this Saturday against Army. So they've got a game to prepare, and then they've got a whole week of practice after that. Absolutely. So I will not be giving a score prediction, but Francesco, I'm fascinated because yeah. this game, 
I could see this game going a multitude of ways, final score-wise. I think Syracuse obviously ends up winning. I think most people would have that. Uh, do we know what the line is? Is it see Jackson Jackson Holzer, someone we both know, yes. guessed that it would be a thirty point no, spread. No, I would say that is clearly not going to be the case. I would say it's in the low twenties. Would be my guess. I I think Syracuse maybe struggles a little bit early on getting used to the the option type of offense that Army runs. So I'll say it's a low scoring first quarter. Syracuse pulls away as the game goes on. I'll give a score prediction, then you give me the line. No, you give me the line, then I'll give you a score. How about that? Syracuse only 13 and a half. 13 and a half. 13 and a half. Wow. With Syracuse at home. So, now, nah, okay, I mean, it, listen, I don't know if we're allowed to give betting advice on, on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> I'd take the orange. Um, I'll say Syracuse wins it. I'll say 42... For Syracuse 42, Army 13. Two touchdowns, two field goals for Army. And Syracuse pulls away late. You mean one touchdown, two field goals? A touchdown and two field goals. Okay, so, yes, yeah, thank you. you know, get a touchdown early with the, I think with the he, option offense. I and think then... you score a couple of field goals in the first half. Oh, okay. Score a garbage time touchdown late. Okay. Syracuse is up by 20 for most of the game. All right, well, you heard it here. You heard it from Francesco Simone. Now that's Army coming up next. Well, that's topic number three. Number three. Syracuse football's schedule didn't look too pretty before the season, Francesco. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, things Mm -hmm. are opening up Mm -hmm. in a major way. They are, Tyler. They are. So I think Syracuse is maybe a little bit better than I thought, especially defensively. I think this defense is really darn good. I was so nervous for the defense preseason, and they've proven me wrong They're good. time and time again. I think I'm ready to call them legitimately good after what I saw against Purdue. Yes. Now, is Purdue a good Big Ten team? Under no circumstances, right? There's a very good possibility they miss a ball game. However, right, you still completely shut them down in the run game. You played great defense against them all night long. I think the defense is for real. Do I have concerns about the offense? Yes, I do. Do I think that they can win a big game against a, a team that's of similar skill or maybe slightly above? Yes, I do. Um, and, like you said, if you look at the schedule, going into the year, I didn't think they would beat Purdue on the road. They did relatively handily. Clemson, I don't think Clemson's that good of a football Clemson, team. Clemson, assuming the Tigers lose to Florida State Which I think is a week. good assumption. Two and two entering Syracuse's game. And they lost to Duke on the road. Now, is Duke good? I think so. Syracuse will be favored against Clemson. I'm telling you now, Syracuse will be favored in that game. I think it's like Clemson minus two. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I think Clemson will be slightly favored. Not necessarily because I think they should be, but because it's Clemson. We'll see. Um, that's an eminently winnable game. Oh, absolutely. At home. That is a game... I don't want to overreact to the start of the season. That is a game Syracuse should win. I don't know about should, because Clemson's still got a lot of talent, more five-star recruits on this Clemson team that Syracuse will have in the next century. But uh, Clemson's just, it's not its not your older brother's Clemson team, right? No. And what is Dino Babers, for all his flaws that he's had in his eight-year tenure at Syracuse, usually plays Clemson pretty close, right? Even when they were 1-10 in 2020, they gave Clemson a game all the way into the fourth quarter. So, that's a game you can win on the road at Carolina, on the road at Florida State. Good luck, right? I You don't feel confident about those two. Virginia Tech's not good. Georgia Tech is bad. 
Wake almost lost to Old Dominion. You know Boston College, even though Boston College almost lost to Holy Cross, right? But then put up a fight against almost State. Be, which is why college football this year is weird, because there's a lot of parody, which is good to see. It's um, awesome. But I don't think Boston College is a good football team whatsoever. Um, Phil Dracovic at Pitt, I don't know if you've seen from him. They're trying to run him out of town already because he's been terrible. So uh, bad. So, Statistically, like, one of the worst quarterbacks the ACC has ever seen. There was an article in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette this week that compared Phil Dracovic's passing stats against West Virginia to Duquesne's, and Duquesne threw for three times as many yards. Wow. Which, you know, Duquesne— It's one thing if you're running the triple, triple option, <laughs> no, but, but, but not, running, it's the not running the triple option. option. Not running the option of any kind, right? So, listen, since Kenny Pickett left, he, Keaton Slovis wasn't all that good last year. Phil Dracovic, like you said, one of the worst quarterbacks in the Power Five. So— that's a game that I would have slated on the schedule before the season as a loss. Now I've got it as a complete toss-up at Yankee Stadium. You you think you still think it's a toss-up? I think Pitt's more physical than Syracuse is, so I... Okay. We'll see, and also, what does Dino Babers not do? Win games in November, right? So, we'll see where the health of the team is at that point. You also got to take that into consideration. It's two months away, you got to remember. But, looking at the schedule from the grand scheme of things... A lot of games you thought, eh, I don't know, including Purdue. One you got in the win column already, and a couple of more you're like, hmm, I, yeah, could slash should win those games now. There were, before the season, there were several games where I, if I were on Syracuse's team, I would be terrified. And that included Purdue, that yeah. included Clemson, even though I knew Virginia Tech was going to be bad. Lane going Stadium in there Thursday night, night, night would yeah. have been wacky. Yeah. There's two games at this point that I think Syracuse should be scared for, and that's at North Carolina, who I still think is a little overrated, but that's still on the road against a good team. And then at Florida State, that will be ugly. Florida State is a juggernaut. That'll be an ugly game. But other than those two games, Syracuse can legitimately fight for every other game on the schedule. I agree. I agree. Now, I'm not saying Syracuse is going to go 10-2. No. Because Syracuse always loses a few games it shouldn't. Right. And again... again, as the, the season wears on, injuries start to pile up. Which they already have. Which they already have, right. And so, speaking of injuries that could be piling up in the future, let's yeah. move on to topic number four. Number four. Garrett Schrader ran for 195 yards and four Woo. touchdowns Woo. against Purdue Francesco. And you've been very, very vocal that that is not a path no. to success for Syracuse no. this season. It, it is not. I listen. I think Garrett Schrader also realizes that. I think Dio Babers realizes that too, because he said in the press conference after Purdue, "We can't do that every game. We're going to get the guy killed." And I asked Garrett after the game, "How's your body feeling now compared to a regular game?" He's like, "I'm going to be honest. I'm feeling it right because he got hit by a truck 25 times." Yes. I get why they did it, right? You got no Ronde Gads, and you're still trying to figure out figure it out with the receiving core. It's a game that you really wanted to have. But week in and week out, if Garrett Schrader's running the ball 25 times, he is not going to make it through the season. Simple as that. No, I mean, he, he had some a small injury issue last season. Yeah, he was in a boot all year. Uh, so this year, I, I think you have to prioritize winning these important games. I agree with Coach Dino Babers yes. and... Coach Back's decision to do what they did with with Schrader in terms of running him so much. But this is where we get back to the conversation at the start of the show, which is that 
Syracuse needs to have safety valves immediately available, and LaQuint Allen yeah. needs to catch a lot more passes mm-hmm. because I'd much rather a quick dump off and a scamper for seven yards by Allen than even like a 15-yard run by Schrader if he's getting hit at the end of it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think LaQuint Allen is a major part of this equation, right? I think he's got to be a little bit more explosive in the run game, too. Mm-hmm. Um, he's... I don't know if it's just me. I feel like he's a step slower than I remember for some reason. I could be completely making that up. I just kind of thought he was faster than he is. Um, That could have been just my false preconceived notion about him. I don't think he's necessarily as explosive as I was expecting. Now, I think he's a good player, but um, I would like to see a little bit more burst from him, right? Um, If you get that, great. Makes the running game better, makes the passing game better, and then it takes a little bit of pressure off of Garrett Schrader. It's a two-pronged theory, though, because, yes, the offense need to pro- needs to protect Schrader in terms of Jason Beck's play calling, LaQuint Allen's running, receivers got to get open so he can throw the ball, but at the same time, right, if you're Garrett and it's first and 10 at your own 30 against Army and you're on a five-yard scramble, just go down. That's the thing. Just go down. He, I, did he slide once against Purdue? I don't think he knows how to slide. And so I, I, I've brought up this theory before. I, there are football coaches that bring in baseball, baseball or softball players, yeah. coaches, teach people how to slide. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Do whatever it takes. Bring someone in and teach Schrader how to slide and how to slide well. So that way he's not scared to. It's a part of his bag at that point, per se. He can just do it. Yeah. Well, the thing that happens when he slides is it's very awkward when he does it. So you know, if you've ever played baseball before, feet first, drop down to your backside and let momentum yes. carry you through, right? He kind of like hunches down, bends his knees, and goes down awkwardly almost every time. And yes. he does it late, which leads to hits, right? Perfect example of it. Remember the naked boot at the very end of yes. the game? Filthy play, right? It was awesome. But when he slid, there was nobody within 10 yards of him. And he slid like he was just like, you know, go, like a little eager in his first ever practice. He's not sliding effectively. But it's not just sliding. You're on the sideline. Don't cut back inside. Just no. step out of bounds. Francesco, have you ever seen an ostrich try to sit down? No, I have not. <laughs> That's kind of on that naked boot, like at the end of the game. It's like he stopped, bent his knees. You're gonna have to show me a video of this way down. I'll, I'll pull it up. It's, okay. That's kind of what it reminded me of, and so <laughs> it's not necessarily just Trader can never run. It's that when you run, you got to make business decisions. Yes, you got to run out of bounds. You got to slide. You got to avoid hits. Yeah, because it, it's a skill he has. He he can run the ball, yeah. and Syracuse shouldn't just stop doing that completely and won't be successful if Schrader just becomes a pocket passer that never runs. And it's not business decisions for his own personal. Well being, right? That's part of it. Well, yeah. But, but it's business decisions for the team's success. The team success, right? Because if Garrett Schrader gets hurt, they are screwed, right? They got no chance. Pitt's a toss up, Virginia Tech, tough game, but you should probably win it. Those expectations completely change with Carlos Del Rio Wilson. I, I've not been impressed. I, I haven't either. once. I haven't by Del Rio Wilson's Me play. Neither. So you're not playing Braden Davis. You're not playing Luke McPhail. No, I mean, maybe maybe in a few years, but we are sure. far, far away from that. You could always play Justin Lampson, though. Oh, wait, he's in Stanford. Sorry. <laughs> That's on me. It's on me. Sorry. Sorry. Well, now— Can't wait for the Justin Lampson ACC revenge game next year, by the way. That'll be phenomenal. Yeah. Look, Syracuse has to replace Schrader eventually, and that yeah. actually brings us to topic number five. Number five. Syracuse football had— 
the worst Power 5 recruiting class yeah. this past year, yep, Francesco. Wasn't good. wasn't good. But next year, mm-hmm. things have gotten a lot better. 16 three-stars, one four-star. Mm-hmm. It's highest-rated class since, I think, 2018 or 2019. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So things are on the up-and-up in terms of recruiting. Yeah, you got to give Dino Babers credit in one facet, especially during his time at Syracuse. He's done a nice job getting these three-star type guys and turning them into some of them NFL players, right? Andre Sisco was not that highly rated of a recruit. Sean Tucker was not a highly rated recruit whatsoever. No. Marlo Wax, Michael Jones, Garrett Williams, all of these guys were not— Alabama was not knocking on their door, right? So getting them and turning them into good players is awesome, right? It's a great skill to have. If you can bring in higher caliber recruits, more talented players, and apply that same philosophy, in theory, that should make the guys you develop even better than the ones you already had. It's it's been an impressive like spurt for for Dino Babers over the last few months, yeah. bringing in a lot of solid players. But my concern is that the really good football teams are no longer focusing on the high school recruiting. Mm-hmm. I, I remember Coach... Coach Deion Sanders, uh, I think it was last year, so it was before he was even at Colorado, but mm-hmm. he said, I feel bad for high school kids because we're only taking a few per year. Yeah. Why would we take a risk on them when we can take a guy where we know his flaws, we know his strengths, mm-hmm. and he's already developed? Yeah. It, it, a lot of teams are, especially at the top, the SEC, they're recruiting from lower-level D1s and JUCOs, mm-hmm. and Syracuse has not been too successful in the transfer portal, at least in the modern era. Now, Schrader, yes, yes. did transfer from Mississippi yes. State. Uh, Elijah Clark. Elijah Clark. Isaiah but, Johnson, too, yeah. But in the last year or so, Syracuse, I would say, has lost much more talent this than year it's especially. gained. Yes, Jihad, this year especially, yes. Jihad Carter left. Deuce Chestnut left. Yeah. Uh, Gear left. Yeah. So, all I, of those to Big Ten programs. All of those to Big Ten programs. There's a very clear pecking order where even Syracuse coaches yeah. are leaving – for lateral moves, but it's it's a better conference. And so my concern is long-term, yeah, it's cool to get all these three stars, but why is Syracuse not attacking the transfer portal much harder? Or maybe they are and just not successful. Right. I, I agree with you fundamentally. However, I will throw this out there as kind of a devil's advocate. Yes, Syracuse is not having as much success in the transfer portal as other big-name programs. However, the fact that the big-time programs... Alabama's only going after the best players in the country, right? And then the transfers. The fact that that that's happening means there's a trickle-down effect to a program like Syracuse because the decent four-star that would have gotten looks from a good SEC program before Mm -hmm. now might not be getting those looks, and it can trickle down to a Syracuse. It can trickle down to a mid-level ACC team, and you can get better that way, right? It all comes back to player development at that point. You can get these guys in the door— and make them better quickly. However, you are right in the sense that it's much easier to recruit a 23, 22-year-old guy who's been in college for three or four years already than an 18-year-old who's been living with his parents you know, two weeks ago. So, yes, it's not ideal that Syracuse had the transfer portal it did have this year, but on the other side of it, the transfer portal in college football opens up the door for Syracuse to get maybe caliber of high school recruits, it couldn't in the past. It could. It hasn't happened yet. I mean, right. so there one four-star four star, a part of Syracuse's 2024 class, that's Jamie Tremble. Yeah. Now, your analysis, pretty spot on. You said guys that could have gone SEC, now yeah. mid-level ACC schools. He was offered by Duke and Boston College and Syracuse, and he picked Syracuse. 
but there needs to be I, I'd hope that happens sooner rather than later. Yeah. I mean, lo- losing Lenora Sellers stunk, right? Because that was a perfect guy who, hey, he was the 25th best quarterback in the country, right? Maybe a South Carolina's not that interested in him right now. Well, it turns out South Carolina was interested, right? So you want that caliber of player to fall through the cracks, and you'll be right there with your net to catch him. So you hope that happens. You think maybe it can as time goes on with the portal, because the portal is going to continue evolving, right? Now, also think of it this way. There might be a little bit of, sh- of a shift in the, ne- in the next couple of years when all the COVID guys are gone and the fifth and sixth year seniors are no longer a thing. So maybe there's a little bit more of a swing back to high school recruiting at that point, but of course that remains to be seen. A lot of scholarships are going to be opening up in the next few yep. years, and yep. then we'll have to have a completely different conversation. That's down the line. This week, Syracuse hosts Army. That's at noon on Saturday. Make sure to follow at Orange Fizz on X for live updates throughout that game. But for now, I'm Tyler Aiken. That's Francesco Simone. Thank you for tuning in. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.